All right, hello and welcome to episode 98 of the OCR Underground Show. This is SGX coach Mike Diebler, and as always, thank you so much for making this a part of your training routine. Now, if you want to check out the show notes for today's episode, make sure you head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 98. Well, I am fresh off my first Spartan race of the year, and in fact, this is my first... um, I'll say competitive Spartan race in over a year since uh, since I tore my pec at Tahoe back in 2021. Pretty much took all of 2022 off. Um, really just wanted to make sure I was recovered, plus a lot of commitments with the kids. It was just really difficult to uh, commit to to any major races out there. So it was really fun to finally get back to it. Um, I know a lot of people were hoping for some new obstacles, uh, not so much on on that front, um, but I thought it was a, a great way to start the year. Um, it was cold. Um, I did the sprint on Sunday, and I think it said the high was 46 or something like that. Uh, it looked like the weather for the super was a little bit, a little bit nicer, but um, so I'm not going to lie, it was definitely a little chilly out there. Um, was not looking forward to getting into that dunk wall, but um, luckily it was the sprint, so it was a, a pretty pretty fast race. Um, you know, easily runnable, not much incline, so it was uh, for me a great way to really get back into this without um, punishing myself too much. Um, I kind of went into this really. I had two simple goals. I wanted to just have fun and kind of. Um, you know, fall in love with the sport again. It had been so long, you know, you kind of forget what it's like. So I really just wanted to go out there and, and have fun and and stay healthy. I just want to make sure I didn't do anything stupid, you know, dealing with my pec, uh, a little bit of Achilles issues last year. Um, so I was happy to say that I accomplished both those goals. Uh, it was great. I really can't wait to get back out and, and push myself a little bit harder. Um, but it was a fun, fun first race. And, and I feel great. My Achilles felt awesome. No issues there. Have some soreness on the with the pec and shoulder, but you know, just really because I haven't pushed it that hard. So um, I think soreness is to be expected after after something like that. So overall, I thought it was a, a good race. You know, kind of um, the the usual. I know that this year is the first year with no burpees, so it's definitely going to make it. Um, you know, interesting, just going to be a little bit different and I'm excited to see how it all turns out. Now, I know um, it seemed that they were going to still have burpees for uh, the open heats, but as far as I know, it was penalty loops for everyone out there. I don't think anybody had to do burpees, so I don't know if that's going to be the normal thing or if they're going to modify that, Um, but we'll have to see. So um, I only had to do one penalty loop and I wish I didn't even have to say that but um, unfortunately I did miss my spear and you've probably seen some pictures if you haven't raced yet where they've put the the wood board up in front of the haystack and kind of have that target cut out uh, it, it is a pretty big target um, it's it's definitely doable I think it messes with your head a little bit that you do have that smaller piece um, so my throw was you know if, if that wood wasn't there, 100%, it was uh, going to stick in. I hit that red line going around the target, but um, fortunately, that's that's not good enough. Um, so had to do the penalty loop. And honestly, it took maybe 
20 seconds to get through the penalty loop. Um, really, you just had to kind of run, I don't know, maybe, I don't even know if it was 50 meters, pretty short, just kind of straight away and then make a U-turn, come back and just go over some of those rubber low crawl, um, uh, like bungee cords. And then you pretty much were right back on the loop. So at least for the spear throw, um, it was, a, you know, obviously it, it makes a difference if you're competing. You don't want to have to run any penalty loops, but it was definitely possible to get right back in it um, versus having to do your burpee penalty. So um, just, uh, again, I think it'll be interesting to see if, if, if they're going to keep the penalty loop short, you're going to have people fail and still come back and, and be able to to compete where doing burpees, you know, that might happen, but especially in a sprint, I don't think you would ever really see that uh, too often. Now, it looked like some of the other penalty loops were longer. Um, so if if you didn't um, make it through some other ones, maybe it's a more significant penalty loop. Um, it was just kind of hard to tell. And I was, you know, just focused on on getting through. So it was hard to to really see where people were going if, if they failed any of the other obstacles. But I was trying to peek after the monkey bars. I saw people a few people running and um they definitely had to run significantly further than at least what i saw on the, or i had to do on the spear throw so it'll be interesting to see um how they incorporate the the penalty loops um and um you know versus the burpees so um you know i think it's really just going to take an adjustment we're all going to get used to it and before you know it it's just how it is but i do think it you know a lot of people are split on on the burpees uh, it obviously takes some pressure off you know if you do fail that knowing you're not going to have to do burpees and you're just going to have to run a loop um, i think it at least takes some pressure off if you do get a little stressed about some of the obstacles you might go in more relaxed and maybe it'll help you out but on the flip side you know some people maybe it'll take it as not trying as hard um, and not overcoming those obstacles because you know you only have to do a penalty loop so um we'll see we'll see how how it all turns out but i'm excited to get back into it um i, I definitely want to to mix in a few different spartan races hopefully a few other races out there a few decas um and i'm hoping to uh, just be a little bit more active in terms of my own races and definitely getting a little bit more motivated to uh to train a little bit um you know, a little bit harder, a little with a little bit more intention than than I probably had last year without any any races in the future. So um, hopefully this will be a good good start for me. And if you weren't out there, hopefully you have a race coming up soon that you can you can check out um, how they changed everything, um, release the spear throw. Um, not, not, like I said, not too many other changes. Um, uh, one thing actually I did want to mention. Uh, and I don't know if it was just the setup, but the cargo nets were incredibly loose. And, and really shaky. Normally those cargo nets, like the A-frame and the vertical cargo are, are pretty tight and it's kind of like climbing a ladder. Um, these were really loose. And I don't know if it was just on Sunday, if that was intentional. Um, but if you, somebody was climbing up you up next to you on either of those, you just had to be careful because it was moving all over the place. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It definitely made it much more challenging uh, for, for some of those and you'd see people kind of getting caught up because it was, it was moving so much, but, um, yep. Other than that, pretty, pretty normal. There was a bar in the rig. I, I haven't seen much more than rings in a sprint really in a long time. So it was just kind of a nice, nice little change there to add something other than just the rings on the multi-rig. Um, and other than that, pretty, 
pretty much all the standard obstacles were there. So, um, yeah, so excited. You know, 2023 season has officially started and uh, really excited to see see where it goes. Uh, in today's episode, as always, I have some great, great uh, information for you. In my research review, I am uh, I found the study on pull-ups. I know pull-ups is something that you know a lot of people tend to struggle with, and they compare different types of uh, training strategies and wanted to see which ones work best for improving the pull-up. So check out check that out in my research review in this episode. In uh, the Inside Mike's Mind segment, I am going to talk about principles of training. There's a few principles, meaning these are like laws, like this has to be true in order for things to happen or not happen with your training. And um, I think these are things maybe not everybody's heard of, but they are very essential to um, any type of training program. So I want to go over at least a couple of these principles of training and how they're going to help influence um, and impact your training. And then finally, in my interview today, I have a return guest on SGX coach Gary Lombardo, and he's getting ready for the winter death race as well. So we chatted a little bit about that. We talked about um, trying to take on some of these more endurance races. So maybe you've stuck to some of the shorter races and you're thinking about taking on a beast, an ultra, um, anything uh, longer than that, and uh, just some things you may want to consider. And we get into a little bit on prepping for altitude as well. So a lot of great stuff from Coach Gary today. So make sure you tune in for uh, my interview. Now, before we get in, I just want to take a minute and let you know about the sponsors of the podcast. Um, now, if we are training hard, we want to make sure that we are obviously recovering from those training sessions. And obviously getting a good, good night's sleep is probably the most important thing you can do to recover from a tough workout. If you're having trouble sleeping and have tried just about everything out there, you definitely want to check out Venga CBD's Sleep Aid Super Sleep. Uh, fall asleep and stay asleep with Super Sleep, which contains CBN, melatonin, and CBD specifically formulated to support a better night's sleep. CBN, we've probably all heard of CBD, but CBN is a, another cannabinoid that specifically helps improve and restore sleep patterns um, that is non-addictive and doesn't cause grogginess or hangovers. So uh, Venga CBD uses nano cell technology that increases bioavailability five times more than most CBD products out there. If you want to check out Super Sleep or any other other great products, make sure you head on over to vengacbd.com slash underground. And if you use code OCR Underground 25, you can save 25% off your first order, or use code OCR Underground 50 and save 50% off your first month's subscription. And I also, I also want to let you know about a product I've been taking before training sessions as well as before racing to help uh, boost performance uh, and help me recover as quickly as possible from some of these training sessions, um, check out the Amino Companies uh, Perform. Now, I'm always looking for products to help boost my training without sacrificing my health in the process. The Amino Companies Perform uses clean ingredients and in clinical trials, more than doubles mo muscle protein synthesis. Uh, Perform has been shown to improve muscle performance, reduce fatigue and recovery times, and increase the training effects from workouts. It's keto-friendly, soy-free, vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. 
If you're looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to boosting peak athletic performance, I highly recommend you try out Perform. Right now, you can get 30% off your order when you visit aminoco.com slash OCR. Make sure you use the discount code OCR at checkout. Again, that's aminoco, A-M-I-N-O-C-O.com slash OCR, and use that code OCR to save 30% off your order. All right, well, let's get into today's episode. All right, well, it's time to talk about pull-ups. Obviously, pull-ups should be a staple in your training program. So it is probably one of the best upper body uh, strengthening exercises. Obviously, they're really difficult, and it's something that we kind of always need to work on. Um, but I think as you get better at pull-ups and chin-ups, it's pretty clear the carryover that we see into many of the challenging obstacles that we're going to face from climbing over walls to uh, hanging and, and monkey bar rig type obstacles. So since they're such a hard exercise to do properly, um, any advantage we can get or any strategy we can use to help improve pull-ups, I think is going to be essential. So hopefully you're already doing pull-ups. Um, maybe you're still working on getting up, getting that first one. Uh, either way, it's something that you, you constantly want to be working on and improving that upper body pulling strength. So in today's uh, research review, I found a, a really interesting study looking specifically at pull-ups and different strategies on how we might be able to improve it. So this is from uh, Medicine and Science and Sports and Exercise. And what they did was they recruited a group of individuals to, uh, to do pull-ups. And they broke them up into um, four different groups. So they had a traditional group, in this group, what they did was uh, when they performed pull-ups, they did five sets uh, of reps to failure. So basically five sets, as many reps as they could do. Um, they had an additional loading group. So in this group, they actually added 10% of their body weight uh, and did pull-ups that way. But again, followed a similar protocol. They did five sets with the added weight for max reps. Then they had an eccentric only group. So we know uh, eccentric phase is, is where we build a lot of strength. We're typically stronger in the eccentric phase. So in the pull-ups, this would be the lowering portion. So as you go down, it's much easier than going up. So if we can improve that eccentric, it, it usually carries over into building a lot more strength. Uh, so for this one, they did five sets as well. They did a six second eccentric phase only repetition to failure. So pretty, pretty difficult there. They took six seconds. Uh, to get down each rep and then they um, were assisted to get back up and then eccentric only there and then the final group was the control group which did no pull-ups at all right just to compare how these other groups compared to not doing any training um, so they were all assessed their pull-ups at the start of the study they uh, reassessed at six weeks and then again at 12 weeks so this is a 12-week study that they worked on improving pull-ups um, they over the 12 weeks they would do pull-up specific training as mentioned uh, twice per week so they're all on a similar plan just following different strategies to try and improve those pull-ups so what did they find so to no surprise the control group did not get better so they didn't work on pull-ups and they didn't see any improvements in pull-ups um, the interesting thing was number one well all groups Maybe not interesting. All groups got better. 
right, other than the control group. So regardless of the type of uh, protocol they used, training pull-ups twice a week led to significant improvements over baseline at both six weeks and at 12 weeks. Uh, the interesting thing is they found there was no difference between uh, the groups. So all interventions improved significantly more than the control. Um, on average, participants started at about, or on average, nine reps. Um, at six weeks, they improved to uh, about 13 reps on average. And then uh, over the course of the study, they improved to about 15 reps. So on average, started at nine reps, finished at 15 reps over 12 weeks of training. I'd say that was pretty successful. I think if you could add, um, you know, six or so reps to uh, your pull-ups, that's pretty impressive. So um, one interesting note is that while all groups saw improvements, um, the uh, eccentric group had the highest dropout rate. So normally when they do studies, they want to see, well, um, how many people start the study and how many people finish, right? Things happen, people just can't commit maybe, or injuries, whatever it might be. Uh, so they record the, the dropout rate, and I thought it was interesting to see that the eccentric group only had the highest uh, dropout, and it required the most time commitment as well. So while they all saw improvements, this is something to keep in mind. Eccentric training is very demanding. I think it's a great thing to include in your program, but clearly doing eccentric emphasized training twice a week for 12 weeks is uh, probably too much, right? And uh, even though it did lead to improvements, if people are burning out, hurting themselves, or just don't want to do it anymore, it's um, probably not as effective as some of the other methods. So I think um, the big takeaway from this study is really just practicing the movement you're trying to improve regularly is, is going to be the most important piece. So we can take this for a lot of different exercises, but with uh, pull-ups, because I know this is a skill that many people want to either be able to achieve or improve upon, um, you need to keep working on it, right? And you might hear where you know people put a pull-up bar in their, in their house, in their office, and kind of randomly when they walk by, they do a pull-up. Right. So I think just exposing yourself to the movement uh, regularly is a great starting point and not necessarily in a workout, not necessarily to fatigue. Just doing it often will go a long way for just preparing your body to do the movement better. So I think that's a great starting point if you're just kind of getting going and working on improving those those pull ups to get uh, to get a few reps going. And then once you get those reps, now you might have to do some higher level training like the things that we see here. And I think they're all beneficial. And really what I would take away from this study is you probably want to vary it a little bit on how you're training your pull-ups, um, making sure you're emphasizing different things. So sometimes, yeah, body weight is fine and you're just going to see how many reps you can do. In fact, I think to add to that, I would even do assisted pull-ups just to work on uh, being able to do more reps than you're able to do on your own and, and build a little bit of not just strength, but a little bit more muscular endurance. So, you know, if you can only hit maybe five body weight pull-ups using bands or other assisted devices and shooting for eight to 12, um, I think that will be beneficial to do some of the time. And then other times, yeah, definitely do body weight, or if you can load it so you're getting uh, used to even more than your body weight. 
right? Think in a race sometimes too. You just got out of water, um, you're covered in mud, you're a little bit heavier than you normally are. So just getting used to carrying that extra load and being able to do some, some extra pull-ups there if you've built up to that level. Um, and then eccentrics, I do think is a great piece. And it's, it's um, especially if you're having a hard time, maybe you can't add extra weight yet, you're not at that level, um, but you can always work on eccentrics. Even if you can't do a full rep yet, what you do is you know you can get a box or something or use rings so you can kind of jump. Jumping pull-ups are, are great exercises. So you you help the concentric portion of the lift. So getting up over the bar. So you you jump, um, start on a box, whatever it might be, and then you slowly come back down. Yeah, the goal is usually like three to six seconds, um, which is a very long time. It doesn't sound like it, but when you're controlling that movement all the way down, um, it's it's very demanding. So we have to be careful on how many uh, reps we do with eccentric because of, of the uh, intensity of it. But I think that's a great way to build strength. Um, but like we said in this study, um, obviously it's intense. So it could lead to to issues or you know burnout obviously this is a little excessive doing it if you're doing it maybe once a week it's probably um, not going to be as bad but just keep in mind anytime you're doing eccentric based training you're going to be very sore so some people they are not going to be able to do pull-ups again after this for the rest of the week so make sure you allow for uh, several days to recover before you even attempt to do any um, more pull-up training after you do eccentric training uh, until you've really built up that tolerance for it. So, so mix it up when you're, when you're putting together your programs, think, how can I build some endurance with the movement? How can I improve that eccentric strength? And, and eventually how can I load it? Um, all are going to be great methods, um, but just keep at it. The, the more you, you work at it, the better you're going to get. Um, so um, obviously let's, let's get those pull-ups done so we can be much more successful in uh, some of those specific obstacles. In the Inside Mike's Mind segment today, I want to talk about principles of training. Uh, every year I teach um, a exercise physiology class at Miramar College, and we actually just started the spring semester and went through our first class. And one of the most important topics that we kind of lay the foundation down with exercise physiology is principles of training. And it might not sound like a, a super sexy topic, but it is the really the most important things to realize when you're training because these determine whether you're going to get better or not. These are, uh, are laws, right? These are, it's like gravity. These things have to happen. And if they don't, you're not going to see the results that you're looking for. So I thought it'd be good to just kind of review some of these so you can think about it with your training program. program. Are you considering these different things? Maybe you're not aware of it. So um, figured since I'm talking about it in my class, dive into it a little bit in today's podcast. So the first principle and probably the most important one is the uh, principle of overload. Now, when we're looking at training, remember, and I know I've talked about this many times on the podcast, the reason you train, hopefully, is for some type of adaptation, right? That could be weight loss, that could be health, that could be performance, strength, power, endurance, whatever. There's there's some type of adaptation that you're looking for. Your body is always trying to just stay where it is, right? It doesn't want to exert effort or energy if it doesn't have to. Its goal is to make sure you survive. 
So you stressing the body through exercise or maybe dieting, whatever it might be, is very demanding on the body. Now, the body doesn't want that to be hard. So when you challenge the body, it's going to adapt so it can deal with that stress. That's basically what overload is saying. If you want a change to occur in the body, there has to be some type of overload present on it. So now I know with uh, looking at strength is, is an easy one, right? So if you start with, um, you know, five pound dumbbells and do a bicep curl and you're trying to get bigger arms or stronger arms and maybe five pounds, it's, it's a real struggle for you to get five to 10 reps and uh, you just keep working at it. And then all of a sudden it's not so bad anymore and you can do it. So now if you were to just stay with those five pound dumbbells and just continue doing that, your body will stay exactly where it is, right? It already has the skills necessary to to complete that task. So now where five pounds before was a real struggle for you, it was demanding on the body. Now it's no longer challenging. It's no longer demand. So your body doesn't need to do anything. It's already got the capacity to handle that load. So if we don't overload the body, we don't see any type of adaptation. I know that might sound simple, but I think sometimes people don't realize this concept, right? Where we just get out there and kind of randomly do stuff. Um, we have to expose the body to um, similar strain or stress in order to get the adaptation that we're looking for. I know when P90X came out and you know made up the term muscle confusion, kind of set us back a little bit because it's it's not really how we want it to work, right? We want to practice specific movements over and over and over again and uh, start to gradually challenge that movement over and over and over again until we we build that that strength or whatever skill that we're looking to build on on top of it right just imagine a, like an out like a pitcher or um, or a basketball player shooting free throws and every single time they shot a free throw they did something completely different right or any time a pitcher threw the ball they had a completely different windup right that wouldn't make sense because everything would be totally new totally different Right? We're trying to develop these skills so we can build upon them. Now, sure, we create variations, and that's going to be the next thing we talk about. But until we've mastered that movement and kind of gotten everything we can out of it, uh, there's really no need for much variation yet. Right? I think sometimes we just change things just to change them with no real purpose. Uh, so overload has to be the first concept that we understand. Now, in the beginning, when you first start training for stuff like this, Pretty much everything's an overload, right? You're just not used to doing these things. Um, and you want to stick to a, a program for much longer because it's going to take a while for your body to really adapt to those things, right? You might as well get more out of one thing versus to continually change things up over and over and over again. Now, as you get more trained and adapt uh, to it, then you might need a little bit more variation, a little bit more more often. And that's that's the next principle, which is the principle of progression. So understanding how do you get from A to B, right? So we challenge you. So let's say we're squatting and then, you know, we start with bodyweight squats because that's a struggle for you. And then we add a little bit of load to it. Maybe we're going to do a goblet squat, grab a kettlebell, and then we're going to get a heavier goblet squat and a heavier goblet squat. Maybe we're going to have to progress now to a barbell squat because we just can't hold any more weight in front of us, right? And um, we can progress that way um, then maybe we do uh, split squats or single leg squats and and now we're just 
uh, adding those plan progressions, not just random things. And this, you often hear the terms workout versus program, right? This is what we're getting into. So anybody can do a workout. You just go to a gym, pick a bunch of random exercises and start sweating um, versus a program, which is a specific progression that is designed to help you adapt in a specific way. Right. So uh, we overload the body. Once we've started to adapt to that overload, we, we start to progress. Right. Maybe that's more weight. Maybe that's a different, more challenging exercise, whatever it might be. And then we're con uh, constantly trying to to progress from that. That uh, leads us to our next principle, which is specificity. And this is basically saying the body is going to adapt to specific loads or, or stresses that you place on it. It won't just adapt to adapt. Right. So this is why we need to know what specific adaptation are we looking for? Let's say you're super strong. You've lifted your whole life and you're getting into racing and you realize that you're just not a great runner. So you decide to lift even more. Right. Or maybe you're going to throw circuits in there because you think that might be the next best thing. Those things aren't really going to make you a better runner. They aid in the process. Absolutely. They're going to make you more durable. Um, and, and other benefits that, that strength training brings to the table. But if you want to be a runner, you specifically have to run to get better at that thing. Now, of course, you can cross train and supplement and throw these different things in there. But the bulk of your planning better include some running, right? If you're uh, swimming, that's great. Maybe you need some low impact uh, additional conditioning work. It's going to help with general conditioning, but it's not going to help specifically with running. So you have to pick what specific adaptation am I looking for? And how can I specifically challenge the body in order to adapt to those stresses? Now, maybe you've done things like you work out all the time, maybe you do some running, and then a friend asks you to go play basketball or, or something like that, a sport that maybe you don't typically play. And all of a sudden, you just realize you feel like you're not in shape at all, right? You're winded the next day, you're sore everywhere. And it just feels like you got hit by a truck because you weren't specifically practicing those movements that you might have been doing in that particular sport. So while training in general just helps with general strength and conditioning, um, if you're not doing those specific things, the body doesn't really adapt very, very well to it. So this is why I always recommend, you know, when you have a workout, what's the specific goal? Is it most people, I think, go in and just randomly put stuff together and think if it was hard on my body, it did something. You might get lucky sometimes, but I think it's much better to go in and say the goal of today's workout is to get strong. So now I have a very specific plan to follow that's going to help develop strength. But when you go in thinking, well, I'm going to do some strength and some endurance and some whatever, and you throw all these different things together you're not really going to see the benefit of any of them. You might get a little better at each of them, but you're really not going to maximize any of them versus kind of splitting them up a little bit. And you can work on conditioning sometimes, you can work on strength sometimes, um, but you have those specific goals, right? Because how can you really get strong if you're out of breath and tired and trying to lift weight, right? So um, keep that in mind when you're when you're trying to develop these specific types of workouts. Uh, the next principles is the principle of diminishing return. And this is um, basically saying you have a limit. You're only going to get so good at something, right? You're only going to get so strong, so big, so fast. You have a genetic limitation. The closer you get to that point, the harder you're going to have to work and the less results you're going to get for it. And sometimes it's just being aware of this to understand 
that that's going to happen. And yes, you're going to put a lot of effort in and see minimal progress as you get more and more trained. When you're first starting out, pretty much anything works. You just start moving, lifting anything, running a little bit, and, and you will get significantly better because it's such a stress on the body. It's got to adapt quickly. Um, so most things work in the beginning. The real challenge is, well, what do you do after that? And that's when we have to rely on our other principles. Overload, right? You're getting stronger. You have to push it a little bit more, right? We have to boot uh, be put in situations where we're doing things we've never done before. Progression, we got to do it safely and we got to um, uh, challenge the body in ways that, it, that it's going to be new. Uh, and then specific, specificity, right? We're going to try and do things specifically to get better at one thing, right? Trying to, the more trained you get, it's going to get harder and harder to develop all these different things at once. Uh, works for beginners really well, not so much when you're more advanced. Um, so we put all these together, but I think sometimes it's just being aware that yes, you're going to see weights go up a little bit as you are really trying to push it. You know, speed is going to get faster, but it's going to get smaller and smaller and you're going to work harder and harder. So just being aware of this concept that, um, it, it get it gets tougher, unfortunately. And then the last principle I wanted to talk about was reversibility. And this is the idea that you are going to lose everything if you don't continue to overload the body. So you might be a big, you know, lifting and really working on strength. And then all of a sudden you switch your focus and work on running, right? And your endurance. You have to realize that there's a cost to that, right? You're going to lose some strength. You may even lose some muscle mass if you're you know, burning a lot of calories and going on longer runs um, because your body is going to get rid of the stuff that it doesn't need. And if it doesn't need all that muscle to support some of the work you were doing, uh, it'll start to, to atrophy and get rid of it. So sometimes this is inevitable and we're just going to, you know, we're doing it intentionally because we're training for different types of events. Maybe you're training for more of a, a hybrid or a strongman type event and we really need to work on strength and, and build some muscle size so you're going to let your endurance suffer a little bit other times you're, you're training for an ultra right and now you really have to focus on an endurance and we can let that strength go a little bit so sometimes it's planned like that sometimes you get hurt right or you're sick or work gets in the way vacations things like that um things can uh, the detraining effects happen pretty quickly if you're not not active at all right so there's studies if you're you know on bed rest, like maybe just you can't move your body at all uh, in a day or so, you're going to start to lose some some muscle tissue and, and strength levels. Now, assuming you're not laying in bed and you're at least moving around throughout the day, you're engaging some of these muscles and and you're going to be able to maintain a little bit. But as soon as you stop these the, these trainings, it's it's going to to go away. But luckily, it can all come back, right? Assuming that we're following the other pr uh, principles that we we talked about, we can get it back and we can get it back much quicker than we did the first time. That idea of muscle memory, it's really the brain, right? The brain remembers, it's gonna start to activate muscles better. It's gonna start to, to build muscle tissue faster and, and get you back to where, where you once were, if not beyond. But just realize that when you back off, these things are going to happen. So life happens, right? Injuries happen. I, I think the takeaway for this one is remember that when you take a few weeks off, you're not where you once were, right? Or maybe it was maybe a few months. You need to kind of start over. Maybe not all the way at the beginning, but you need to back off quite a bit. Um, otherwise, you try and pick up where you left off. And now this is where you just destroy your body. You hurt yourself. You're sore for weeks because you just did overdid it. 
right? So take a step back and build it all back up. You're going to get it all back relatively quickly. So hopefully those all make sense, um, but just keep those in mind, right? Overload. How are we going to overload the body? Constantly have to challenge it. So we progress. We progress you with different weights, different challenges. What's the specifics, right? What am I trying to work on? What adaptations am I looking for? Endurance, power, strength, right? Focus uh, workouts on those specific things. Diminishing return, just keep that in mind. You need to pay more and more attention to these things the more trained you get because you're going to have to work really hard for much less results. And then finally, reversibility. We have to constantly be working on these things or we're going to start to lose them. If you do, no big deal. You can get it back. Just take a step back, start at the beginning and build up that base again. So those are all principles of training. Hey guys, well today I have a return guest on the show, Gary Lombardo, owner of High Power Athletics based in Massachusetts. Gary's a CrossFit and SGX level two coach, USA triathlon coach, and death rate death race finisher. Uh, he's no stranger to pushing himself, having been on high altitude expeditions in eight different countries. I'll actually put a link in today's show notes for Gary's first interview that we did a while back. Uh, but Gary, welcome back and thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Excited to, to chat with you again on, on a variety of topics. Um, so I know last last episode I had uh, Crystal McConnell on and we talked about the winter death race and you're going to actually be participating as well. So it's going to be fun to, to chat with you about that. So I know you have done a, a few death races before. And so I want to start off why... Why are we gonna? Why are you gonna do the uh, the winter death race? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm stupid and crazy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> no, I I, uh, I I so I I did the summer death race two years ago, and as you mentioned in the intro, I uh, had completed that, and then last year I attempted the winter death race and wasn't quite as successful. So I kind of feel like I got a little chip on my shoulder. Going to go back there and and uh, finish this thing off. So. But that's one of the reasons. But mo most importantly, you know, honestly, it's it's I mean, the reason why most people do these things. Right. It's really to, to understand what you're made of. Right. Like, can you can you do this? Right. And I tend to be somebody who's like, if it scares me a little bit, then I need to go try it. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I, I'll admit the winter death race uh, definitely is in that sort of like hmm, unknown category, push my limits. And so that's really why I want to do it. I want to get out there. Uh, prove to myself I can do it and, and have fun as well as much fun as you can have in these things which is yeah. fun I know it sounds like it's a little bit twisted but it is <laughs> yeah yeah and it's usually one of those things like looking back right maybe not in the moment it's hard to have fun but then you go back and realize everything you've learned and you know you're proud of yourself for getting right. through these things that, that that there's definitely that fun aspect to it yeah there's this like oh when you finish these things these big events like uh, I've done uh uh, you know, I'm talking like big, like long events, Ironmans, expeditions, death race. You're always in like this cloud nine feeling after is the way I describe it. You're sort of on a high, right? You're like, man, I just, just did it. Right. And, and, and that lasts like, you know, a few days and like people make decisions during that time for next things they're going to do. That's usually when people sign up for the next death race or yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I would tell them like, hold off, right? Like you're this in euphoria state right now. Enjoy it. But. We yeah. let reality sink in a little bit. So, so yeah, that's part of it too. Absolutely. So, um, so you mentioned last winter death race didn't go, go as planned. So walk us through kind of what, what happened, your experience and, uh, and all that good stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I, I made a, a couple critical errors. I mean, one one was um, not you know being submerged in the water and not doing it on the first try. So we had to go in and uh, stand there for five minutes, right, uh, and then submerge ourselves for fifteen seconds. After that, unfortunately, um, it took me uh, multiple tries to do that. So uh, the fifteen second piece, and that was a critical mistake on my part. Uh, even though I cold water train, right, I do spend a lot of time. Uh, with cold uh, thermogenesis to kind of condition myself and for a variety of other reasons. Uh, unfortunately, um, it, my body just didn't react well and I ended up going hypothermic right at that point. And the other critical mistake I made too was uh, we had a sandbag and I didn't waterproof it. So my, I think it was 75 pound sandbag turned into more like a 90 pound sandbag because it got wet and <laughs> it was like, uh, and I also didn't have a system to carry it properly even though I did lug it up to the top on my back, uh, some people dragged it, which is the way to do it. So that costs some energy. So I think those two things were, were my mistakes in retrospect. And, but really, you know, it was the water submersion going hypothermic and then ultimately having to pull myself out because it was just too risky at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that's a hard thing to do, but obviously in an event like this, you, you have to pay attention to those things. It's, it's, it's a, a quick decision, but you know, obviously the smart one for it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and I like I mentioned, I'm a cold weather guy. I do all sorts of stuff in the the winter, and I knew I know the risks. I probably knew better than anyone else in that race. Kind of uh, the 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 risks of hypothermia and frostbite in particular uh, at the event. So entering with that mindset, um, I, I tend to be fairly conservative as well. So when I felt myself and knew that was going on, I'm like, okay, I just need to exit at this point. So yeah, big, yeah, being aware a- is key. Yeah, absolutely. So to, uh, to bring up my next question, I know this is something that you, obviously you have to pay close attention to. So what how do you plan on avoiding hypothermia going in, going into this? Yeah, event? yeah. Great question. I think, uh, well, first off, if we have a water uh, challenge like that, get it done in the first try. Right. So I think that the human body can absolutely benefit from cold water and can tolerate it. Cold temperatures, I should say, in general. However, uh, not for long periods of time. Obviously, everyone's busy a lot physiology is different um and knowing kind of what your tolerance level is for that particular type of extreme event um is important so i kind of i'm dialed into that now that you know that's stated that's not a normal thing people just don't normally go jump into cold water so there are other ways that you typically get hypothermia a little bit more uh, nefarious i guess that sneak up on you and i think it's super important that you're aware of that uh and which i tend to be because i always keep myself um you know, as warm as I possibly can, keep myself dry, which is the most important thing, right? That's also important for frostbite. So your base layer, the, the layers closest to you need to be dry. Your clothes need to be dry. You need to keep moving, which is something that I, I certainly uh, would plan to do. Not a lot of standing around, right? Watch the extremities in particular for frostbite, but hypothermia, yeah, that's um something to be planning for, thinking about dressing in layers, keeping warm, keeping dry, keeping moving uh, is super critical and also cognizant of sort of your mental state and where you are, right? And, and making sure that that doesn't seek up to, on you because one of the first things that can happen is your sort of mental ability can uh, be compromised. So, you know, trying to be as aware, aware of the moment of as much as you can of your your capacity to think through uh, particular issues and challenges. And if that's compromised, then that's a clear sign as well. So, uh, you know, I'm going to try to keep myself mentally alert, right, as much as possible during the race. Be thinking through issues logically as best as you can, in addition to the physical stuff as well. So those are the things I plan on doing to avoid hypothermia. 
Awesome. Um, so I'd love to know, like, what you mentioned, you know, you do a little cold water exposure and things like that. But for an event like this, you know, obviously, I'm sure a lot goes into it. But what's like, what's a typical, like training routine? Like, what are what are some common things that you're doing just to help you get ready for this with, you know, from dealing with hypothermia to, to the carries and the strength and the endurance and, and all the different things that are going to go into this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and I'm a coach and stuff too. So I work with athletes who are training for races like events like this and other events, you know, whether it's a ultra or, um, you know, trail running, skiing expeditions, things like that. So uh, the, the, for me, the, the concepts always fall into those, the three buckets of physical training, you know, nutrition and mental mindset. Right. So, um, you know, just real quickly on the physical training stuff, I, I kind of keep myself, I'd say year round in shape, uh, is the way I like to, to, to think about it, uh, to be able to get off my couch and be able to do, uh, a half Ironman event is kind of how I view it. So I swim, bike and run constantly. Uh, but also on the, the strength and sort of muscular endurance side, right. Be able to do Fran in under five minutes or CrossFit workout. So, um, although I might be a little bit off on that goal right now, but at any point in time, be ready to do that. Then that's to guide my, my philosophy, not for all the athletes I work with. Um, so yeah, it's a combination of, uh, lots of endurance stuff and then lots of uh, swim, bike and running specifically. Um, but also I do a lot of, uh, skiing, cross-country skiing, uh, skate skiing in the winter. I love that. I vary it up. I adapt my, my skill set or my passions, I should say for endurance sports to the, the environment of the, the season we're in. So right. right now, lots of, uh, skate skiing, alpine skiing. I just did a trip to Utah and I'm going out skinning and constantly climbing up, uh, peaks with my skis and then skiing down, uh, and then ice climbing as well. So I'm doing a trip to Vermont this weekend to try to do some uh, multi-pitch climbing. So for me, all that stuff kind of, you know, has a physical piece of it. And then the strength side too, I can do lots of CrossFit and strength training, uh, which helps to complement and really enhance uh, all the endurance stuff I'm doing. So really, I think that piece of it gets me ready. Uh, and then there's, of course, the other stuff we mentioned, like the cold, like the biohacking piece that I'm, I'm constantly doing, whether it be mm-hmm. um, lots of recovery, different modes of recovery, using light, you know, red light therapy, cold genesis for recovery and different types of supplements as well. And of course, nutrition wise, diet wise, super important. Try to eat as clean as possible, which doesn't always work. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, keep myself, try not to be carrying around too much weight. Right. Which is really important. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. And then eating clean and then the mental side of things. I, um, you know, tend to do a lot of relaxation. I I know for the death race, people like, well, why don't you stay up all night and why don't that, that stuff doesn't matter, right? Like you, you kind of get there and you are, you know, you're either ready for that type of challenge or not mentally and, you know, trying to sleep depri- deal with sleep depri- deprivation is as much physical, but it's also mental in the sense of pushing forward. So there's not much you can do to prepare for that. But I do a lot of meditation, um, a lot of quiet time, a lot of gratitude journaling to kind of reflect and, you know, um, that has an impact overall on my mindset, which tends to say, okay, stay positive, get through these challenges. I have challenges just like everybody else does in life. And uh, that's my way of sort of dealing with them and uh, also preparing, right? There's a direct application, I think, of these races to life. I always view life as a, these races, a microcosm of life, right? You always need to uh, deal with challenges and obstacles in these races. Uh, Life's the same way, right? Just in a much grander scale. So being able to uh, do things that are practical in life and then apply them to the race is kind of the core philosophy underlying those three components, the physical, the mindset, and the uh, nutrition training for the set of event. 
Yeah. And I, you know, I love that you talk about the mindset because I think that's an area that I think a lot of people struggle with because it's, I don't, I don't know if it's like not as easy to just get to the gym or get out and run. Right. You just go do those things, but to take the time with yourself. Right. And, um, because I, I can imagine in the death race, it's a lot of time just listening to yourself, right. You're going to be having that voice in your head the whole time saying all sorts of things and, you know, obviously sometimes you need to listen to that if, if there's danger, but, you know, typically your mind's the first thing that's going to, to give up, right. And tell you that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's well before your body is, is at that point. Um, so I think that, you know, that, that those little things like that are going to go a long way to help, help prep you for really any kind of race or, or challenge, but, you know, obviously in, uh, to this degree, it's going to come in, you know, it's going to be a huge benefit mm-hmm. to have. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. You're you're 100 right with about the the mindset piece. Like that's typically where uh, why people don't finish these things, right? It's it's uh, because you know I can't tolerate the pain. I can't do this. You're reminding yourself of the negative. You're reinforcing that. So being able to overcome that, right? Obviously, you need to be con- conditioned and fit. Uh, many people are right, but many people aren't necessarily mentally um, ready, right? To kind of overcome some of that and and you learn right i think that's the key as as you progress in your your uh, as you evolve as an athlete uh you need to exercise your mind right just as much as anything else you need to practice that and you learn over time as you do these types of events uh especially these long endurance events right so and also you know it's the same thing when you're doing a even if it's a five minute workout right that's high intensity it's the same thing you're like i just want to quit i don't want to do this right you got to kind of you know, push yourself through it as long as you're, you know, selecting the right modalities, it's going to be physically possible. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's super important all around. And and I do think it has a, you know, the reason why we all do these type of events stuff is to become better humans at the end of the day. And I, I firmly believe that something like the death race, something like any, you know, going on expeditions or doing CrossFit workouts really do make you better human, right? At the end of the day, uh, you can't change who you are inside right necessarily what the character and all and there's a whole bunch of other life elements that impact that of course but when i say it makes you a better human it makes you uh, a more uh, well-balanced human somebody who's able to tolerate and deal with adversity much better which at the end of the day makes you uh, i think a better person a more empathetic person as well yeah absolutely absolutely um so you, you have a lot of experience working with <laughs> well training yourself as well as working with clients getting ready for more endurance-based activities. Uh, so I'd love to get your thoughts on what do you think um, those that maybe they're, you know, they're, they're used to more like 5k, 10k shorter distance type races, but now they, you know, they kind of caught the bug and they're ready to push themselves to, you know, half marathon, Ironman, whatever it might be distance. Um, what are maybe some uh, c- considerations you would mention somebody who's, who's ready to make a jump to more, more extreme distances that, hey, just, you know, these are some key areas to pay attention to, or maybe some common mistakes you see people make when, when they attempt some of these bigger races. Yeah. I mean, it always starts with like, why, like, what, why do you want to do these things? What's your goal? Right. Like, I think it's, uh, it's super important. A lot of people think, oh, cool. I need to go do this type of, uh, long endurance event, but you don't necessarily need to, if your goal is, uh, to, uh, you know, make yourself, 
whatever, a better person for a variety of different ways. There's different reasons to do that. Short events can do that as well. However, yeah, you're right. There are a lot of people who are like, hey, I really want to push the limits and sort of the same thing that I talked to, I mentioned at the, the onset here, why, I, why I'm doing the death race and why I tend to go after these longer or more extreme events. Um, and that's logical, right? There's lots of people who actually do that. So, so the people I've worked with who've been successful with that have, um, I think, uh, had the right recipe of a couple things one is like uh, a clear uh, understanding again of why they're doing it and clear goals right realistic goals are you know, achievable goals measurable right smart goals right and a coach like me works with them on that but also and also there's uh ability to execute right and meaning ability and commitment to execute because not everybody has that right you don't have the time you might not have the 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 inner uh fortitude necessarily right so as it work, when i work with athletes i really sort of uh, delve into that and try to peel back that onion a little bit time is one thing right we either have the time or you don't that inner piece that an innate ability to to be committed to your training right is super super important especially for these long type of events i have all my athletes sign a covenant at the beginning right <laughs> which is like i am committed right it literally yeah. says it's awesome. a paragraph you know it's like a contract right i sign it as well because for me, it's important as a coach, because I, I I don't want to work with people who just, you know, quit, right, like six months in or three months in, and it's not worth it for me, it's not worth it for them. But and I've had people like, come to me and then say, I can't sign that covenant, <laughs> I'm not ready. And I'm like, that's great, because that's why I have it, right? Because yeah. you got to show that commitment. But at the end of the day, anybody, I think if you have clear, clear goals, and you're committed, um, meaning you can make the time commitment and you're internally committed um, and make it a priority in your life, then there's no reason why, and you're physically, sorry, I should say physically able as well, meaning you're not dealing with any injuries or, you know, medical sure. issues uh, that will prohibit you or endanger your life while you're doing it. Any, if those three things are sort of met, then anyone can do this type of event. I don't care who you are. Um, you, you can definitely get there. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that cool. idea of, of that, uh, that kind con that contracts um, because I think, people do jump in sometimes and the idea sounds awesome, right? Like I'm going to run this, this long race or whatever it might be. But yeah, as soon as it gets a little tough or it interferes with your life a little bit, it's super easy to just throw in the towel. So um, um, th th that's just a great idea to have, have that commitment right off the bat. I know that's when I was uh, training for an ultra, like that's exactly what I went through. It was, you know, first I did it because I didn't know if I could do it right. I'd done, a whole bunch of other races and always then it was just like how well how fast will i finish but it was never am i gonna finish right but the ultra i was like i don't know never took on anything like this so i just want to push myself and i think that one of the biggest things i realized was um the commitment to pre prepare yourself for something like like that so if you're not used to it i mean there were weekends where i'd be like i'll see you later you know saturday morning <clears throat> I need to get out and and I'm going to be gone for a few hours and this is going to be my Saturday morning or afternoon or whatever. And right. you know, my wife was on board. She understood, but yeah, I, we had to have those conversations. Like when I start getting into these longer mm -hmm. training days, that's my day, you know, that, that might take several hours sometimes to, to get through these things and I'm not going to be home to, to do whatever or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, that People need to realize that. Right. That family support's absolutely critical. That's one of the questions I always ask. And, and you know n nothing nothing's in my opinion nothing is more important than your family right and uh and, and friends and i think if it's temporary where you're going to be doing something that's going to 
take away time from spending with them or impact them as well, such as these events and training for them. Um, I, I think that's fine if it's temporary, but if it's ongoing and, and I am somebody who does these things ongoing, but I, I am constantly trying to communicate and balance that. It's really tough, right? It's super tough. I'm not going to deny that. And it's has been a point of tension at times, um, <laughs> but <laughs> you should not be doing, I, I always say you should never be doing things that's going to uh, necessarily take away from the things that are of higher priority in your life and everybody has different priorities and i hope nobody's making things like um the death race and these big events like number one priority in their life um but if so then that's okay we can talk about yeah. that but <laughs> but yeah there's there's always trade-offs right and and i think there is a way to sort of balance it out uh but it's tough you know and family support uh and getting that support and the community support as a whole is, is a super important piece of this, this whole thing and, and a piece of uh, main criteria for success. Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And because you don't need to do these things alone, right? Like you shouldn't, you're, you're going to be out there by yourself and, and you're going to have to put in the work and do all of that, but there's no reason to do it without the support. And, and um, I know that that helped me tremendously. And I know it helps clients, whether it's from me or their family, friends, whatever it might be. So um, yeah, I, I think it's a, a lot of people want to know the training stuff, but I think these are really like the, the things that make or break some people sometimes when they just, uh, can't, can't seem to to complete it or, or give up because they don't have this extra push getting them there. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, one, one last thing I want to ask before I, I let you go, um, cause I'll get this question a lot is, um, you know, I, I know you've had some experience being at altitude and for somebody who maybe can't get exposure to to altitude, do you have any recommendations that you'll you'll work with a client and maybe you know give them some some strategies to help prepare their body the best they can? Obviously, there's nothing better than mm -hmm. than being exposed to altitude, but you know if they're at sea level and they just can't can't seem to to get out, uh, is there anything you recommend, or do you say no? Make make the effort. You need to to expose yourself. Yeah, any, any I. Yeah, I think, you know, the, I, the best thing, of course, is to, to physically train yourself, make sure that you're, you're, you're fit and doing all the things we just talked about nutrition, nutrition and mindset and all that. If you're going to take on go at, uh, at an, an event at, at altitude and or an expedition or anything like that. So that's the most important thing you can do, because if you show up without those things, then you're ultimately not going to succeed right and your body won't do well at altitude, but physiologically to, to adapt to altitude. Uh, I think there's, um, you know, certainly things you can be doing at, at sea level, right? As a as a normal human being, uh, before heading off, you, can, you when you think about training at altitude, if you can get to altitude, right, a place where you could ascend, uh, you know, no more than say a thousand or fifteen hundred feet per day, and then come down, sleep low, go back up, you know, sleep high at that point, go to the next point, et cetera. That's what we did recently on an expedition I did in the Car Quorum, um, where again we're talking. Uh, trying to reach a, a point of over 23,000 feet. Most of us aren't doing events, right? Doing expeditions mm -hmm. like that. We're trying to go to Tahoe and these other places, right? Where, where it's much lower. So yeah. uh, again, everybody's different. I think for me, I start worrying about altitude when it's like 14,000 feet or so, right? Mm -hmm. And But again, people are different. If you do have the ability to go someplace and, and do that, that's great. If, if you don't, um, you know, I think making sure that uh, there are other things, little sort of hacks you can do, those hyperbaric chambers and things like that that you can sleep in. And uh, again, those most of us don't have access to those things. If you do, great, give it a try, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I would say the the 
most important thing though is when you actually do get to altitude to uh, try to get there a day or two ahead of time. If you're on an expedition, um, you know, use the trek in to acclimatize, but low exertion, right, is super critical, especially as your body's adapting. That's the big mistake I've made in the past is that, especially as a young guy going off in these expeditions and trips, I'm like, I'm just going to rip up this mountain, right? <laughs> Huge mistake, right? And even with going uh, higher at a, and sleep, going higher and then sleeping low, there's still, it's the amount of exertion that you're putting your body under in a short period of time. And, and if you don't take it very slowly, meaning slow steps, it's very frustrating, right? Especially for somebody like me who just wants to go, like forcing yourself to um, keep your heart rate low as much as possible as you ascend, because that makes a, a, a massive, massive difference. Now, if you're going to go to an event like Tahoe and these other events that or are at altitude, you can say, well, it's not as huge of an issue, maybe for you, because it's actually not too, too high. But if it is, I would recommend getting there a couple of days ahead of time and going out and doing some slow hikes sort of at that higher altitude, right? To not push your body, but to allow it to adapt is the best thing that you can do. Uh, the most practical thing, I would say, for most yeah. people. But but yeah, that's kind of how I, people I work with, you know, if people do have access to some of these biohack type things um, where they can do oxygen deprivation and, um, you know, that's, that's great, but that's typically not practical for most people, both from a cost per monetary perspective, but also from a just everyday life perspective, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Um, well, I've taken a, a, enough of your time. Um, Gary, thanks so much for, for coming on today. Uh, if anyone wants to learn more about you or, or maybe just follow your experience through the uh, winter death race, where would be a good place to, uh, to learn more about you? Yeah, good question. I, uh, I, I'm not an avid Twitter person or blogger and it's something I probably should be, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely, um, check out, um, uh, my, my, uh, page on Facebook. You feel free to follow me, reach out also highpowerathletics.com. Uh, I also maintain a senseportsconditioning.com. If you go out there, um, that's my, uh, uh, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching there as well. And uh, I have a blog there. You can read about some of my expeditions and I'll probably do a blog entry there on uh, the death race. I didn't do one last year or the previous race, but uh, I think it's time I should do that. So yeah, follow me there. Awesome. Awesome. I'll put links in the show notes for, for all of that. So great chatting with you again. Uh, and then good luck on the upcoming race. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me. Anytime. All right, guys, that's going to do it for episode 98 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you found this helpful and picked up a few tips along the way, I'd love it if you uh, gave me a review and just let me know your thoughts of the show. That would be uh, amazing and greatly appreciated. I wanted to thank uh, Coach Gary Lombardo for coming on and sharing some of his expertise and wishing him the best of luck in the winter death race. Also, thanks to our sponsors, the Amino Company and Venga CBD. Make sure you check out all of their great products. I'll be putting them as well as any other links mentioned in today's episode uh, in the show notes located at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 98. And one last thing before I sign off, uh, we are going to be holding a DECA Strong event uh, coming up on March 
2023. Um, if you're listening to this when it is aired, love to have you out there. Um, the Duck and Strong is such a fun event. Always, uh, always a great uh, time and love seeing people push themselves through it. So uh, again, I'll put the link in the show notes if you want to check that out. We're going to be doing um, uh, the normal Deck of Strong, plus we have a uh, kids heat and we're going to have a couple team heats as well if you want to take it on with a partner. Uh, should be some fun additions there. Uh, so that's it for today's episode. Until next time, keep training smarter.